One thing that someone in the company said to me when I was just about to graduate, they said, you're absolutely unhirable. I meant it actually as a compliment with the ideas I would have and the, the desire to be able to execute them without, um, I guess, potentially bureaucracy it wouldn't fly within their, their particular organization. Um, so I think whenever you're young, you do need to take a bit of time, step back, write out um, the things that you want to do, the things you want to achieve and take that, you know, that maybe that five-year plan and work backwards. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about celebrating Irish innovation and Irish innovators globally. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Irish Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is a little bit of a continuation from the previous two. We are sticking with the Dogpatch Labs theme. Now, our guest today, Kona Lafferty, is somebody that Chris Walla from a couple of episodes ago introduced me to. Kona Lafferty is the founder and CEO of Waya, an Irish startup that provides sustainability companies with cloud infrastructure to utilize the internet of things. He has become a key figure then in the global Internet of Things ecosystem. And as a result, he was actually listed on Forbes 30 under 30 for Europe. So already he's having a huge impact and the possibilities for Waya are massive. And you'll hear a little bit about that. But one of the things I really enjoyed about this interview with Connell was hearing about his time growing up in County Tyrone and how he found his entrepreneurial spirit along with his love of engineering so i really hope you enjoy um what he has to say there i think there's some great learnings for any aspiring entrepreneurs but also for engineers as well that are looking to make a positive impact on the world so with that i'm just going to drop you right in the interview Conal, firstly thank you so much for joining for today's podcast really appreciate it yeah, thank you, Dave. So I'd love for you to take us back. What was the inspiration behind Wire? I was living in Belfast at the time, and I was uh, kind of living in, a, living in a pretty good area. Um, but unfortunately, my bike was stolen from two floors underground. With that in mind, I, I, like the engineer part of me wanted to kind of figure out a way to prevent that from happening to people like myself in the future. So I started building a bike tracker that would essentially work pretty much anywhere. What it was doing was allowing all of the bikes and smartphones to speak to each other without knowing each other. What I noticed, building that whole solution, um, the whole back-end piece, the cloud, there was just a lot of work that had to go in to even get that to MVP stage. And that's, that's where I realized there was an even bigger idea here. Providing cloud infrastructure or um, kind of back-end or middleware for companies who wanted to build out any sort of connected or Internet of Things device. Uh, that's really interesting that it, it kind of came from like your bike being stolen. Energy use, sustainability is top of mind for so many at the moment. What types of businesses are you working with right now? Yeah, so since, since I guess that inception point, the business has evolved quite significantly. So we are not just working with device manufacturers, helping them to build out Internet of Things devices. We're also working with companies who really want to start to transform their own businesses or help others to create businesses of the future by having a focus on sustainability. With 
that in mind, a lot of the, the focus at the moment is really around energy. Energy has become just such an incredible subject here, especially in, in Europe and in the US, well, really everywhere in the world, and for various kind of political and uh, climate reasons. What, what, what the businesses that we're working with are across logistics, tech, kind of all different types of property that you could imagine where there are, are high consumption of, of energy. It's really about how we can look at capturing that information so that we can then start to analyze it and then start to make decisions. So there's an incredibly small number of buildings in the world that actually know their consumption in real time, or not even real time. For many of them, they get a bill every two months and then they just pay it. Um, so they have no idea what they're using um, with the on the day to day and what word they can actually start to focus on kind of trends and starting to reduce that consumption. So what we will typically do is we will go into uh, a building, we will look at the different meters and stub meters they would have. So stub meters being for particular parts or kind of use cases within the building. And then we can start to understand and comprehend what's going on. And sometimes behavioral changes are enough. So being able to turn off heating systems or things like that. Um, but that now, um, now and then we have to go into much more granular scoping to try to really uh, understand the, where the biggest opportunities are to reduce that usage. So in terms of the territories that we work in, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty global at the moment, but really primarily a focus on the EU and the US. You gave a great example there of like buildings don't know their own consumption in real time or even just mm. quick enough that they can make kind of adjustments or make any kind of changes. So I imagine that this is kind of a game changer for many people. What kind of traction are you getting from these folks? And 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 as a result, like, how is the community been growing? This is a pretty big pain point for every major company out there. And it's not just around looking at the consumption elements themselves. So whilst that is important, we are, most of the contracts that we're looking at are multi-year, five-year contracts so that they can not just um, lower their consumption, but also use these data sets for ESG, for carbon reporting, all the different things that are linked to the data points, such as green mortgages and other pieces as well. So there are a lot of financial incentives for companies to invest in putting these technologies in and they pay for themselves. The return on investment is extremely quick. So in some cases, it can be within a month or two. We, we had one um, funny situation with one company where they realized that from the energy consumption that there were people in using different facilities in the building overnight for, for non-work purposes. Let's just say they had a discipline of um, a good few employees. Their consumption dropped ridiculously. Um, but again, this is, this is all about trying to understand the behavior of the, the building themselves. So we are expecting to be covering hundreds of millions of square meters of property within the next couple of years. That's incredible uh, how much you're aiming to cover over the, the mm -hmm. next few years. Obviously, the impact, the ROI for these companies can be pretty substantial. I think you had a great, that example of like, you know, a company looking at, you know, their usage kind of identifying, hey, hang on, there are people coming in and doing things that are not specifically company related. I imagine, though, that the impact on the environment and the overall economy is also potentially huge as a result of all of these groups, like all focused on this together. 
It's also the way that a lot of energy purchases work for these businesses is, is that they're basing it on some sort of features. So they're buying their energy maybe 12 months in advance, and that will be based on the consumption of the previous 12 months. So if they're able to implement these types of technologies and get an understanding of where efficiencies can be made, then they're also buying less energy upfront. Um, so it works a little bit differently than it does um, in the residential sector. It's, it's very important for companies that are considering this stuff to try to get it in maybe before their next financial year, because then that can factor into um, a reduction in the budget and everything for them. It's just kind of one of the many opportunities that there are uh, if, you, yeah, if you're out there and you're yeah, utilizing that. I want to take you back a little bit further because, you know, you're clearly passionate about engineering. You're also an entrepreneur yourself and very clearly passionate about this as well. Where do you think these kind of two passions came from? Mm. Yeah, so I think, I think it really came from a pretty young age. I guess if we start with the, the engineering side of things, I've always been a fan of Lego since a super young age. The, that idea of putting blocks together and getting a result, I just get a lot of satisfaction from. Yeah, like I even still put Lego together today. I think my last one was maybe some Bat, uh, Bat, a Batmobile. Other ones have been Saturn V, Rocket, International Space Station, lots of different things. Always kind of like sitting in the yards with kind of tools and hammers, kind of building furniture and trying to bring it over to neighbors. They just really always kind of had this mentality of kind of going, anything is possible when it comes to engineering. It's just a matter of figuring out how you're going to do it. That, that, yeah, that inspiration really came from, I guess, my dad. He, he's, you know, an engineer. And when I was younger, you know, I always thought of him as someone who can, you know, fix anything. That really helped me to open up that uh, realm of possibility when it came to engineering. So on the entrepreneurial side, yeah, I kind of touched on slightly there, yeah, trying to sell even furniture to the neighbors and taking our old VHS tips, that's how long ago that was, and uh, categorizing it and essentially trying to create my own version of ExtraVision or Blockbuster for the neighborhoods and printing out that list and putting it in through all of their different doors and trying to see if any of them wanted to rent any videos off me. I think it was a pound a night, so pretty competitive pricing as well, even if I didn't have the distribution rights. But the somewhat successful um, entrepreneurial uh, venture was really um, kind of, I started saying, selling SIM cards in the playground. I found uh, an issue with O2 or Telefonica's website that allowed me to order SIM cards for free. That was a pretty significant thing at the time. So it was what, oh, just realizing my age, it was yeah, 20 years ago. People really wanted them because they would get unlimited text messages for free, but no one knew how to get them. So not only did I know how to get them, I was also not paying anything for them. I was getting like loads and loads of these SIM cards sent to me and just selling them to kind of people in my year and then people in each year. Just to give an idea in the numbers, I was in a boys school, there were 700 or so in there. Girls school next door, also about 700. And then between the staff, there was maybe another 200. So I was selling these for about a 10 or a pop, two for 15 if, if they wanted to buy more. And it's essentially sold them to everyone in the whole school then i started to do that wholesale to people in other schools so selling them at discounted prices it got so expansive that even the postman was in on it o2 tried to shut down the vulnerability in their website that allowed me to get them for free by blocking my address so i just sent them to all of the other neighbors with my name on it and he still brought them to me which is great i think i even gave him one as a as a thank you 
Yeah, suddenly everyone uh, kind of within my area in uh, in uh, County Tyrone um, was yeah using SIM cards that I had got. Um, so I pretty saturated that market pretty quickly. It was yeah, it was a really 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 interesting venture and also quite an interesting way to meet a lot of people um, who I hadn't met before. While everyone was running around with I guess books in their backpack, I was running around with SIM cards and cash. Uh, how old were you when you were doing this? Uh, Thirteen. At 13, you basically were able to identify a gap in the market of like people who wanted SIM cards, but didn't realize that they could kind of get them for free. And you basically created your own little industry at at 13 years old. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like I I was selling and sold in the thousands of them as a 13 year old. That's pretty decent revenue or pocket money that I was taking in. So it was, it was. It certainly taught me a lot, and it really just it was fundamental or basic as as it could be in terms of a business model, um, and finding that kind of perfect market as well, and the desirability from the, the people within that market. Um, so a lot of factors just came together. But I was always really really deep on things when it um, involved technology. So another venture I had when I was thirteen was a games website. It hosted mobile phone games from like the old Nokia's or Symbian phones. Now, the issue that was really a problem with it was that it wasn't exactly legit. So that was the first time I learned about cease and desist uh, when I got a bunch of uh, notices through um, about that. So I just took the Google AdSense money and, and, and ran before, um, before they found out that it was a 13-year-old behind the computer doing that business. But it grew to being pretty popular again 20 years ago. It's getting hundreds of thousands of uniques every month. That was a, that was a bit fun, a uh, bit, bit fun as well. Uh, that's phenomenal to hear at 13. I mean, I, I'm sure you were learning lessons that most entrepreneurs would love to have um, even today um, as they kind of go out and, and start exploring the startup ecosystem. So, Question for you then, because obviously what you're doing with Waya is focused on sustainability. Like with this passion for engineering and for entrepreneurship, what then inspired the move to focus on sustainability? I've always been really interested in really open ecosystems and but also solving solving problems that we have here in the in the, in the physical world and things that are inevitably must be solved. So one of the things that um I guess, really inspired me to go deeper into the world of sustainability was driven by some of the work that, that I did during the pandemic. Just as the, the, the whole um, whole thing kicked off, I tweeted out saying, oh, do we need to start building ventilators? Um, because that was a big thing at the time and in, um, in March of 2020. Colin, uh, Gove, a friend of mine, got back and and, and David, we, we all got together and, and created an organization called OSV. That grew exceptionally fast. So we, we ended up with about 6,000 people within a couple of weeks from all around the world. We had this Slack channel with um, all these uh, like Fortune 500 C-level execs and incredible engineers and designers and medical professionals from everywhere. We were working with like the World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation, and a, a lot of big names. Um, even, even Ford were working with us. Um, and we were all collaborating on this one thing of uh, how do we create an open source ventilator essentially and really these mission-driven projects are 
is something that I, I, I just really, really love because you can, there's a very clear metric, but there's also there's just something really fantastic about being able to solve a problem that touches people so, so much. That, and we successfully did that. We collaborated with um, incredible engineers in, in Canada um, on, on the main project. We spun up 40 different organizations or 40 different projects um, that were um, assisting with PPE and building other types of uh, open source solutions for, um, for, for the pandemic. Me as a person, I've, I've just always been into uh, building, yeah, bu- building things that other people can use or that if it's not being used for profit, that it just becomes open. And the focus on sustainability was then uh, kind of looking at, well, yeah, what are the next big problems that we have? And we, we've, we had some incredible technologies ourselves um, for the Internet of Things. We noticed that there were just huge, huge, huge problems within the industry still. For example, when, uh, like I discussed earlier about the energy monitoring within a building, one of the many problems um, that, that is in pretty much every building is you've got all these different types of technologies and different ways to send the data. And there aren't really many ways to kind of create this normalized view of, of all those da- different data inputs and produce kind of one simple output. And so that, that's why um, I wanted to start to focus on, on that because the normalization of that information is just so important for us to actually solve the challenges that we face with sustainability. And it is a huge, 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 big world problem. And I believe we're kind of one of the best fit companies to do it, um, which is why we are talking to a lot of big names about implementing our, our middleware into capturing all of this information and hopefully providing a, a better future for everyone. I love the passion. I love the the focus on the tackling the big real world problems. I mean, sustainability is is kind of a, a crucial topic for so many. So I imagine that when you're going to a lot of these big uh, big names and these big organizations and big companies, there's a lot of like almost like positivity in reg- uh, that you're getting in response from them if you're helping them tackle these big challenges. Yeah, well, what, what's funny is that we're not even going to them. So we don't have outbound sales. Um, and so... We work with partners and and we have a different kind of, I guess, um, go-to-market strategy than uh, most typical startups, um, but it works wonderfully for us because we are able to, um, I guess, expand ourselves out while keeping an extremely kind of lean and efficient machine. And we will be bringing on um, people more so, more commercially focused on um, very, very soon. And we're going to be opening opening up some rules around that. It's, it's about kind of how do we kind of catch more with what, what we have and the part the partnership route is a really great way to do that. That's how these bigger companies hear about us. Once we get in and get talking to them, we're coming in with great technology, a great price, a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to provide a, an end-to-end service if they require. Um, and so there's a lot of, I guess, acceptance within the corporate community um, of kind of working with kind of nippy lean players like us. Um, because they believe that we will get there better and faster and at a better price. So really, the way that you're kind of marketing and selling yourself is just by having an incredible product. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much. So we've always focused on kind of how do, how do we continue to build the, the cloud software better and better and better. Listening to the customers you know, is obviously one of the really key bits to, do, um, to doing that. Um, but when it comes to software, 
I, I kind of like to simplify a lot of it. It's all ones and zeros. Well, it is until we go to quantum. That'll be a different problem. It's, it's, it, I find the software um, engineering software solution that it, it is pretty limitless. Some of it is just about brute force and getting there. Pretty much everything, when, certainly when it comes to capturing data for um, sustainability purposes and even analyzing that data and producing recommendations is all very possible um, if you can find ways to normalize that information. You know, I, I like to, just to kind of give an analogy around why the, I guess, the conversion of all the different data sources into one common source is important. If we lived in a world where we didn't Google Translate, well, we wouldn't be anywhere near as effective communicators or get any, anything as much done in the world. So it is important that we can all speak a common language, whether it is socially or um, with technologies. That's such a really interesting point of view of like uh, having a shared language through technology. I, I really love mm. that. I'm going to steal that with pride and say that <laughs> it's in the future. I'll send you a motivational poster. I um, oh, love it. Thank you. <laughs> a question here, because obviously there is there is such a focus on sustainability and a lot of the businesses that you're speaking to, I imagine that they're thinking about hiring somebody in-house to help them with this and help them tackle this. But, you know, you yourself, you seem to be a, a serial entrepreneur. What keeps you as a serial entrepreneur rather than joining one of these existing or uh, businesses or big multinationals? Yeah, I remember one thing that someone in a big company said to me when I was just about to graduate. They said, you're absolutely unhirable. I meant it actually as a compliment with the ideas I would have and the, the desire to be able to execute them without, um, I guess, potentially bureaucracy. It wouldn't fly within their, their particular organization. That's one of the things that I like about, I guess, being out there in the, in the periphery a bit. Um, that there is this ability to kind of stop change and kind of make decisions um, without having to worry about, um, yeah, going through a lot of red tape. Um, and that, 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 I, that's one of the things I love about this. Um, so there are other challenges that I want to take on as I progress um, through my life and career. Um, so whilst I'm working with things around uh, kind of sensors and cloud technologies at the moment, I see a natural progression to taking a lot of the learnings and even the technologies themselves and applying them to other places such as food, genetics and um, other, other areas and industries. A quick pause in today's podcast. The Digital Irish Network is continuing to expand and we would love your participation in that. Whether that be by attending an event, pitching your startup, or just contributing your expertise and experience to the community. So we would love for you to join us. If you go to digitalirish.com, you can become a member today and join an ever-growing community of Irish innovators and professionals. That's digitalirish.com. Now back to the interview. I think that's a really interesting lesson for a lot of folks because mm. I've seen it before. I've worked at big tech organizations and there are exceptionally talented people that you can almost see within like a couple of months of them starting there. They're already frustrated. Mm. Like it's almost like that the that the environment that they're in isn't best suited for, you know, their skills and their abilities and their values and principles as well. 
And I think that's something that potentially like a lot of students, especially as they're leaving university, could probably do with learning and knowing about as they start kind of exploring what's actually out there and what's available to them, you know? Yeah, well, you've got to start with, I guess, understanding who you are yourself. Um, and a, a good minor kind of exercise is looking at kind of some te- uh, kind of psychological tests, such as the Belvin test, which kind of puts you, uh, it puts a definition onto what type of person you would be within a team environment. And within that test, I always came out as the shaper. Actually, actually, before I did that test, I walked into the room and I hadn't met the lecturer before. And uh, I just looked at him and he just told me that I was a shaper before he even opened my mouth. Um, and so uh, that, that can then just, yeah, it start to give you, I guess, a bit more of a comprehension around your own personality um, that you can then use to your advantage and, and give you the ability to focus um, or the ability to um, figure out which career path exactly you want to go down. Um, so I think whenever you're young, you, you do need to take a bit of time, step back, really lay out or write out um, the things that you want to do, the things you want to achieve, and the, write uh, and take that you know that maybe that five year plan and work backwards. And that will then help you decide whether working in a big company is right for you or working in a small uh, startup is right for you. Um, I'll look forward a few years around what that that uh, that plan is. And uh, and you know, as I said, take the the back the steps from the back uh, backwards to uh, to put, relaying that out. And you know, for you, I mean, you obviously started at such a young age yourself. Um, like, did you find that starting at a young age that you you kind of identified that early on, without like you know whether it be through this exercise or just kind of from that initial moment of starting up the, you know, the, the selling of SIM cards at 13. Yeah. Yeah. I think whenever, whenever I was doing that stuff, it was more of a why not than a why. I know we always look, are told to look at the why, but I think the why not is important as well. And I, it's pretty just fearless. Uh, it, it was just a matter of going, well, yeah, I'm just going to give this a go. It's no risk. I'll just see what happens. And it, it went really well. And I, I guess I was fortunate at that age that I went out there and tried to pursue these types of things. And it was it was successful, um, certainly, certainly from a, a financial perspective. Um, but as you kind of go off and you're looking at other things, that level of simplicity can kind of, I guess, diminish for various different reasons. Um, there's, there's a really great book um, called uh, creative confidence by I think it's by Tom Kelly, um, someone from uh, IDEO anyway. And one of the things I really love in it is it talks about how, well, a lot of people, when they get older, they just say, I'm not creative. But the reality of it is when you're born, you are creative. You have to be creative around how to learn and how to kind of figure out a lot of things in life. It's just that um, as you get older, there are maybe kind of obstacles or events that Put up barriers or blockages for you to continue to progress in that path. So for me, it's always about being able to make sure that that doesn't happen. Like I still watch cartoons. I still learn. And I said, I still play Lego and all those different things that encourage you to be really, have a really open mindset will, will work really great, whether it is going into entrepreneurship or um, engineering or any other kind of uh, paradigm. 
it's about just letting your mind be really free to um to yeah bringing on new new things um i always like to think like people people say oh it's all um, about doing things out of outside of your uh comfort zone but i like to i sorry i prefer to think of it as it's more so about expanding your your comfort zone and once you do that then it's something new and a new tool is under your under under your, under your belt and you know you you mentioned like some of the the learnings that you uh the lessons i should say that you learned um you know from a young age in regards to uh what it is like to grow your own business and uh, to um kind of build something um what what other lessons have you learned that you are still applying today yeah i, I think i think like going out into tech initially it's easy to be distracted about oh i have to raise you know capital i have to do that um i have to kind of you know get multi-million dollar euro checks or, um, or whatever it may be and if you just strip away all of all of that and just think of okay what i need to do here is just create a business um and i, I use the word just lightly i found it simple as that obviously um but if you can if you can break down what you're trying to do into a more achievable or micro steps then chances are you're going to be extremely successful so to, to give an example of that um back back in tyrone um a friend uh, again yeah maybe about 25 years ago um they started selling bags of peat from the front of their house so not, they didn't even have a property at this stage um, or commercial property at this stage that company now turns over about 200 million a year and that's that that's what i think a lot of um, entrepreneurs in tech and i'm including myself in this need to remember that when you are looking at things like building out your MVP or or kind of your proof of concept, whatever it may be, that it has to be distilled down to something as simple as that. What you're trying to do is you're trying to prove a business model. You're not trying to build a fully fledged product or full service offering or hire like thirty people and hope that they'll just kind of create something. Um, that 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 doesn't work in practice. It's about getting deep um, with the customer, understanding them uh kind of <laughs> I, I do love the uh the analogy in uh, wolf of wall street where they say it's about moving the money from their pocket into yours and if you say if you start to think that simplistically then um you will find ways that you can extract the value that you want to um, provide to them and then everyone's happy in the transaction um because you're there providing a service or product that um meets their pain um points and at a, at a price that um, is within uh, their budgets. Um, but you've got there and you've achieved that with doing as little as possible. Um, so it's always got to be about what are the things that you can take out rather than things that you can add. I love that. I actually really love that. Uh, one thing as well, like as you've been talking, um, the, there's something in the back of my mind in regards to like, you as an engineer as well there is an aspect of creativity um to what you do as well um like obviously being a builder but you you have like a vision of like where you want to go or a direction that you want to take things you you pivot depending on like changes that you see in the environment and in the industry um how important is creativity to everything that you're doing and everything that you're working on I, th I think it's the most important thing. 
Um, for me, it's, it, it's, you know, we're working and trying to build out technologies that require a high level of creativity. So part of my background is um, in computer games. That's what my master's was in when, when I was at university. Um, and that was about huge amounts of problem solving. That's why I chose that degree, not because I play games a lot. Um, um, it was more so, okay, there is an incredible number of um, variables or things to be solved in this, in this area. Because um, essentially, you're trying to build a, a whole simulation system um, within, with, within, within some sort of sandbox environment. And there are different things around physics and artificial intelligence and rendering and uh, kind of pathfinding and all lots of different things that you have to figure out um, around, around that, um, just to even build the most simplistic of games. When I, I also like to think of engineering really as an art form. Um, it's, it is a really incredibly expressive way um, to, to, yeah, to problem solve. Um, and so you've got to be creative um, it, to be able to be a great engineer or, or problem solver. And that goes back to my previous point around kind of pretty, pretty much everyone is. Um, they just don't realize that um, there are just a few things they need to do to unlock that ability. And then, you know, going into... Uh going into kind of like where um you know again you're a serial entrepreneur here um from your experience where should founders be focused on failing fast and moving on versus persevering through failure yeah it's it's such a challenge to with when it, when it, when it comes to the persevering through failure um because with with that there's got to be a point where you say, okay, this just isn't working. And that, that can be one of the most dif difficult decisions for a founder to make, especially because most are going to be somewhat emotionally attached to um, whatever their venture or project is. And so that's why the field path is so important. And going back to what I was saying about the micro experiments or being able to build the, the actual uh, minimal viable product um, is just so, so, so important. And one, one of the best ways to do that is to just get out there, speak to people, and Ask them are they going to pay for what you're going to offer, and if you can't, if they're not, um, then there's nothing there. Um, so then just keep on reiterating that thesis. So if you look at the typical way that you would maybe do a science experiment, treat it that way. You start off with a hypothesis, you have a method, you, you gather your results, and you generate a conclusion, and you set yourself um, kind of a, a budget and a time period to do all of those different things. And then you sit and you evaluate the results and then make your next decision for that. And next, the decision may be continue to pursue this as a correct path. Or it may be, oh, if we change this or maybe actually this market is better suited to this and there's an equal opportunity there, we'll do that. Or it may be that there's nothing there at all and you're back to having a blank canvas. And all, all of those different uh, outputs are fine. But you've got to really... Um, put put a value on your own time, and so it's the one finite frequent uh, sorry currency that we all have, um, and that's why the feeling fast piece is just so important, um, so that you can really utilize your own time um, as efficiently and effectively as possible. I, I actually, I firstly the idea of time being so so valuable. I I love this. I mean. Um, 
honestly, like one big thing that I I remember reading a a book from um like a, an entrepreneur a while ago where they spoke about how the the biggest driver to everything that they did was they just remembered I in my working career I have a max of. 40 to 45 summers, 40 to 45 winters, springs. Mm -hmm. And it's like every, if you think about it that way, it's like, it's such a finite amount of time. It's such a finite resource that they were like, it really pushed them and focused them to kind of say, I need to make the most of today. So I think this is such a valuable point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something that, Again, this is in that list, maybe being easier said than done. Um, but this is really where you've got to sit down and make tough decisions, say no to some people, say, say yes to others, um, but really define where you want to utilize your time. Um, and that should be where, where, where you're best and you're most effective at. Um, and if you're not going to be your best or effective at a certain piece, then bring someone in, um, either hire someone or kind of get a co-founder or do something like that and start to build up a team that collectively um, you will be an effective unit. That's really great advice for, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs, especially if there's any listening to this podcast, like what other snippets or piece of advice would you give to any aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, so like going back to what I just said there, I think getting the co-founders at an early stage is it's a really important piece. So if I look at my own path and my own journey um, with why I'm, I'm a solo founder, um, I've been fortunate to have great team members um, throughout the years. And but if, but if I was to go back and look at changing something, it would probably be that piece around, yeah, getting, uh, getting a co-founder um, because you've got to look at, the personal elements there, like, you know, there's a lot of weight um, if it's put on to the one individual um, and having co-founders around can help to, I guess, share that in uh, in the good times and the bad. Um, and since I'm kind of talking about, I guess, some personal aspects, it's so important that you don't sacrifice the personal elements of your life. Um, so whether that be health, fitness, family, friends, whatever it is, you've got to keep that in your in your routine um so being really well um organized um so having you know a diary uh that you can be right into putting everything in your calendar whether it is you know i go for my run at this time um here's what i'm going to cook at this time and having all of those different things um kind of organized well uh is will just help so much um because writing things down is an is an incredibly therapeutic way um, to get things out of your mind, um, when especially when if you've got lots kind of, that you're thinking about or lots that are going on. And one of the best ways to ensure that you do that, um, certainly that works for me, is when I wake up, I make the first couple of hours by myself. So, yeah, I introduce an element of selfishness for sure. Um, and you get up, you know, go for that run or relax or um, read, read a book or kind of what, whatever it may be. Um, and then you know that regardless of how kind of hectic or crazy your work day may be that you've got these personal things done and they're they're there and complete um so it's it can, it can be a really really effective way um to make sure that you're taking care of yourself um so yeah i would 
as I said, I did, did a lot of fitness stuff, meditation, reading. Those are the things that work for me. May not work for everyone. Um, but an, actually, another good hack as well, just since I'm talking about fitness and health, is uh, I, I find cold showers to be yeah really, really great. Um, so I'll take like a, a 30 second or a minute cold shower at the end of every shower every day. Or some days I'm living by the sea, so I'll go in, in there for a little while. Um, and it, it's an incredible stress and anxiety relieving um, technique um, that I couldn't recommend more to anyone if they haven't tried it before. On the, on the business side, again, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I've I've tried the call showers before. And uh-huh. It's uh, it's definitely a wake-up call. I did this like whole <laughs> thing of... Um, trying to wake up early so I could like get exercise mm-hmm. in, in the morning so I could then focus on work and like a cold shower before exercise, like literally stepping in and mm-hmm. then like a proper shower after the exercise. I honestly, like it worked so well for me uh, for, for, yeah. the, for the time I did it. I, so I fully endorse this. And it, you know, what's funny actually is I love the fact that you're talking about you know, we talked about time obviously being like a major resource, but I love the fact that you're kind of bringing this back to like also making time for yourself. Cause mm. I, I feel like that there's a big thing at the moment of like this, um, this idea of like grind culture of like, mm. if you're, if you're a founder, you need to be working 24 seven, like you are comes like always on, like you need to be a hundred percent focused on this, but like, it's good to hear that the way that you're approaching this is like, Yes, my, my time is important, but it's also equally important to use that time to make sure that I feel feel energized and I feel 100% so that I can really then focus on the business and make sure that I'm giving that my all in that time. Yeah, well, well it's it's just like I'm like I've been there, I've been the like I've had that kind of ridiculous hustle mentality of doing things every minute of the day. But if you do take the time to reflect on your effectiveness, you you will quickly realize that you're not as effective as you think you are um, at, at the time. And it, it's just like it's just like that with anything that involves the body or your mind. There is only so, like a certain kind of threshold, and when it's reached, you are not actually kind of utilizing yourself to the best. Like with exercise, it's not as if we can just kind of run kind of nonstop twenty four seven. And it shouldn't be thought that working can work that can be that way either. Um, and I think I think it's just important for people to kind of look at the, themselves and just just say, okay, well, you know, what, what's what's the point of all this work without life? Um, so yes, there are obviously you know good incentives um, to 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 work hard, but it, it's important to create a form of balance between those things in your personal life um, and. It's just, it's just uh, yeah, it's just a much much healthier way to, to approach things, and that's why I like to do it at the start of the day because um, at the end of the day, you know, it may have been, you know, there may be things on my mind from from work, or I may be tired or whatever, um, and it's important. And if by doing it at the beginning, it means that you have actually uh, ensured that that consistency takes place. And just actually on on that point, um, I think consistency itself. Is, is another incredibly important piece. So I'm sure many people um, or anyone who's listening have come across books like Atomic uh, Habits. They, it, it provides a great framework for trying to get into this mentality. 
at monotonous and boring as it may seem to really get into doing particular habits every single day. Um, it's really, really, really important. I liked, I saw a clip the other day of Arnold Schwarzenegger actually talking about this. And uh, someone was asking him, why do you still go to the gym? And he said, um, well, I eat every day. I drink every, or I drink water every day. Um, I go to bed every day and I go to the gym every day. It's just part of life for me. And that's what I need. Um, and I'm certainly that type of person where things like fitness um, put me in a different kind of level mentally um, by giving me an opportunity to extract myself from what may be going on in work or life or whatever it may be and have something that is kind of a nice endorphin rush in a, in a healthy way. That's fantastic. And, you know, obviously there's, uh, as you're continuing to go, uh, why like, uh, obviously keeping your energy up is going to be vital, especially as you're, you know, with the lofty aspirations that you have. I mean, obviously sustainability being a huge, uh, huge issue, but also, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, the fact that you're talking about hundreds of thousands of square feet of of property and how you're kind of stepping into that area and and really helping businesses understand their impact and how they can how they can make a a significant change to how they operate um you know i, I the, keeping your energy up is is going to be vital i imagine over mm-hmm. the next over the next 12 to 24 months and beyond yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is why I guess I've had to kind of evaluate myself quite significantly and continually do uh, when it comes to kind of my kind of you know lifestyle, health, fitness, all those different things. Because you will perform better within your work or, um, or business environment by making sure you've given yourself the baseline to do so. So yeah, as you, as you were describing, like you know, we're hoping to. Um, have hundreds of millions of square meters of property being covered within our platform. And that's something that really, really excites me um, because it's taking this challenge of uh, how do we solve, you know, the, the, um, kind of the energy crisis and the ongoing issues that we will face with things like energy um, in the future and create a more sustainable planet. Um, and it's it's really for me, like I mentioned, some of the other things that I'm, I'm going to be working on soon, it's all about working on an inevitable problems. And this is just one of many. Um, and that's what I continue to, um, that's what I plan to continue to pursue, not just over the next year or two years, but really throughout my life, just working on things that are um, kind of, that, you know, will have to be resolved at some stage, stage um, within our lives. And, you know, looking ahead for why I like in the future, Aside from your own success, like, um, what's next for Wyatt? Like, what what are you hoping uh, to? What does success look like for you in the next twelve to twenty four months? Yeah, so like as we go into the platform at, at the moment, it's just seeing all these kind of buildings lighting up kind of all over the place with all these different types of sensors is super exciting. Um, but it's really got to be about the effectiveness of that. So it's one thing capturing data. But it's another thing, actually turning that data into actionable insights that can then be used to reduce um, the, the energy consumption. 
So we, we're very, very focused on that, that area at the moment, but moving into being middleware for other areas such as air quality, occupancy, lots of different things um, is really something that we will, um, we're really excited about doing um, further, further down the line. Um, but it's it's really it's it's all about continuing to create um, software technologies that will yeah solve global challenges by utilizing sensor data in a effective and meaningful way. Love it. And then you know, is there anything that the digital Irish community can help you with? Send me loads of big buildings. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be in New York soon. So yeah, I'm happy to connect everything everything up in Manhattan. No, not a problem. Um, yeah, so like, I think from, I would love to hear from, um, people who are, yeah, working in large corporations or, um, or even, uh, device manufacturers who are, are struggling to create, turn their products into connected products. Um, but also, uh, sustainability companies, um, that want to begin to utilize the internet of things, um, as a, as a new offering to their existing customer base. Um, we can help them do that pretty much overnight. Um, so we want to yeah, expand our own ecosystem um, through kind of the uh, yeah the device manufacturers and sustainability companies. Um, so then we can all be working on this um, problem together. Um, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about uniformity. And by doing by by working towards that, then it's more likely that we will succeed in trying to achieve the incredible goals that many companies and governments have set for the years ahead. Fantastic stuff. Well, I, we're looking forward to having you over in Manhattan. Hopefully we can uh, connect while we're there. Um, Absolutely. And Conal, just I know how busy you are and uh, just really appreciate you taking out the time. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, your uh, your thoughts and just your experience overall. It's been really insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's really, really great um, getting to chat to you. And yeah, looking forward to hopefully yeah, meeting up in, in person sometime. Thanks again to Konal for joining for today's podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please let us know. Drop us an email at hello at digitalirish.com and give us your feedback. Also, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can, please also share with anybody that you think may find this episode interesting or insightful. For now, our next episode will be out in June. Thank you again for listening. See you soon.